Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Hello and welcome back to SUP FM. It's Simon here and in this episode I speak to Brendan Prince, another paddler who's set themselves an incredible challenge for this year and someone who you'll be hearing a lot more about in 2021. But before we get into the interview, I just wanted to say a very big thank you to everyone who's brought our SUP FM safety course. This was a passion piece that was put together to help provide quality information in an entertaining way for the thousands of new paddlers that have taken up the sport and also for intermediate paddlers who are looking to paddle in a different environment to where they normally go. There are loads of video lessons, quizzes and downloads to help you become self-sufficient on the water and that's really what we all should be aiming to do because what we teach isn't rocket science but it's not something you'll get from a general browse on Google or YouTube. The course also helps to support the podcast and keeps the show on the road. So that's why I wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who has bought the course since its launch back in the autumn. Right, so on to this week's episode. And this week we've got a guest with a real water background and he's a long-time paddleboarder who has set himself the challenge of paddling around the mainland of Britain starting in April 2021. Now, I don't know about you, but I was pretty emotionally spent after following Jordan Wiley's incredible journey in 2020. But Brendan is on a real mission, which is shown not only through this journey and all the preparations he's making, but also through his everyday life. Since he had um, a life changing experience as a lifeguard and that experience led him to form the charity Above Water which works to educate school children and the general public and basically spread messaging about spending safe, fun time in and around the water with the goal of reducing drowning, which is still at really surprising and unacceptably high levels all over the world. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And because he's training as this episode goes out, I know it will really boost him if you leave a comment and follow him on Facebook or Instagram, or even better, visit his website, thelongpaddle2021.com and give him a donation for what is a really great cause. And all the links, as usual, are there in the show notes. So here it is. Here's the chat I had with Brendan Prince, and I really hope you enjoy it. So Brendan, Welcome to SUP FM. Awesome. Thank you very much. Really pleased to be here. Well, it's fantastic to have you on and we look forward to having um, conversations about a whole array of your water skills and your knowledge. But first of all, one of the questions that we ask all of our guests on the show is for them to just share a bit about their first experience of SUP and what it was that really attracted them to the sport. Well, that's such an interesting question, isn't it? I have a lifeguarding background and it was interesting because in a, as a lifeguard, the, the ability to observe and see what you're doing is highly important. So I would say my first experience with SUP was actually standing on 
uh, rescue boards at the back because you can stand up there, you're six foot above the waves, you can see who's in the water, who's not in the water. And obviously big rescue boards were like, or still are like, the thin race subs. So quite easy to stand on and see what's what. So probably that was my first ideas of sup. And then suddenly this sport sort of kind of started to take off and a local firm to us based in Devon, Circle One, had some sups and I suppose it was about 2008. I bought this 10 foot sup, this massive thing. 30 33 inches wide and uh, started taking it out and just thought this is awesome amazing and do you remember the first time you actually stood on a board how'd you get on yeah i do actually because we went i took two or three others on a glorious day in torbay it was uh, an early evening summer and it was one of those conditions where you can just sort of see 10 meters straight down and getting on these boards which, to be honest, were barges in comparison to the type of things we're on nowadays. It was relatively easy uh, at one stage, but also it's all, it's all hunky-dory until that moment you start running backwards and it flies off like a Exocet missile in front of you, which we all did, I'm sure, a number of times. And I do remember one of the lads dropping their paddle and it just sinking like a stone. And <laughs> We could, we could almost see it as well, but it was just way too deep to get down, probably seven or eight meters. And it's probably still there. So we lost a paddle that day too, before they started making paddles that float. Well, that's quite an introduction to the sport there. And, but, you know, you've got quite a comprehensive adventure background and uh, sports background. I know that uh, like me, you're, you're an ex-rugby player of, of many years, but you've also got a that adventure sport background. Could you just share a bit about that and some of the countries you, you've been to? Yeah, I mean, well, I was brought up in Wales, South Wales, back in the 80s, in my teens. The water around there was pretty brown. It wasn't as nice as it is nowadays, so we always had to travel to get to the water. And back then, it was surf, sail, kayak, and I used to do lots of open water swimming. So that kind of stayed with me into my university years. And yeah, I've done lots of traveling as far as lots of water testing and ice swimming in Iceland for sort of best part of six months there. Again, the same sort of time in Pakistan, climbing, ice climbing, used to do lots of ice climbing. And that took me to Canada. I spent a year in Canada doing pretty much the same thing, climbing mountains. I mean, the amount of water in Canada, you, you need to throw a stone in any direction, it'll land in a lake somewhere. So there's, there's loads of opportunities to kayak and uh, just kind of be at one with nature. And we did lots of kayaking expeditions where you literally kayak one lake, walk for a mile, kayak another lake for a couple of miles. And, and you do that for miles on miles until you're in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, real big background in, in loving the outdoors. And that's kind of what took me to Exeter Uni to do a degree in uh, PE teacher and uh, education. And to be honest, I, I then got a job. Well, I had a quick stint in London, a couple of years in London to kind of get my teeth into teaching. And then I came back down to Devon and got a job at Talkie Boys Grammar School as head of outdoor education and, and PE and stayed there for 23 years. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely loved it. And, and you know, the, all those years teaching, you know, the thousands of children I've taught, it was all about getting kids out. I mean, Torbay is brilliant because you've got all the water one side of you. You've got Dartmoor the other so you've got no uh, shortage of opportunities to, to get children out and about, and especially in the water, whether that's surf lifesaving, whether that's sailing, whether that's uh, surfing when we get surf in. Um, but in the last sort of 10 years, it's been 
taking children doing SUP as well, which has been fantastic because it's for, for, for children, it's, it's a fantastic sport to kind of get into and, and they can get it much quicker than adults and they feel like they're achieving yeah. and it, and yeah, and it's, it's fabulous. So yeah, that's kind of my, my background to a point wow. up until a couple of years ago, really. And, and of course, um, the thing that, that brought you to our attention is this amazing adventure project that you're doing this year, which is the long paddle, which is paddling around mainland Britain, which is, uh, as we know, is a, a real challenge. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do, just a, a slight diversion, because you mentioned about uh, ice swimming in Iceland. Swimming in cold water in ice is very much the thing these days. Um, I've talked about it in previous episodes about Wim Hof. Just tell me a bit about your experience swimming in ice. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been a swimmer. And um, from, an, from an early age when I realised I wasn't going to the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics, I realised I needed to perhaps get out of the pool because I was getting a bit bored of that and get into open water. So just basically swam all the time and then um, started to enjoy swimming more distances and that ability with my mountaineering background took me to Iceland to back in then that was kind of 1989 sort of time it was there were lots of lots of gear coming out clothing that was revolutionary back then when we kind of we take for granted nowadays but a lot of that gear was to be tested and it was a lot of it was tested if people were falling in water so we had to put this gear on and cut a hole in the ice, get in it, swim to the other hole in the ice. And then, then they'd pull us out probably because we were unconscious. Can't remember most of those, those times, but I'm sure as you know, swimming in, in cold water, you, you acclimatize to it. You, you know, you, I probably lasted two or three more minutes than people who weren't used to it. But when the water's that temperature, there's, there's very little you can do. There's a bit of mind over matter for a certain amount of time, but then mm. it just takes you and that's, and that's the power of water and especially the power of cold water. And then, and then you have to endure the hours of what is pretty horrible, horrible recovery coming back from that cold water state. And, and I was actually doing that, a lot of this with different army training corps because they were testing gear. So they were, they were very good at monitoring you and bringing you back to life. But, you know, in those days, it was very much a slap on the back rather than a more of a cuddle that you would get if you were doing that sort of thing now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's my background of, of just kind of understanding water. And I think that's very important to know that I have that understanding of being in the water and doing a lot of swimming. You learn about tidal flow, and the movement of water, and that is hugely important to benefit SUP being on the water. And it's one of the reasons the long paddle kind of came around, one of many reasons which we'll go into, but just the, the ability to read water and then use it to your advantage to paddle on it is is one of the challenges personal challenges for me for going around the whole country to experience all the different movements of water and tidal flows and tidal ranges that we have on this amazing island so just moving on to the long paddles this would be the first complete circumnavigation of britain and um, we do have a lot of listeners who listen to the podcast and um, who get what the challenge is but for our listeners a bit further afield what makes this such a challenge? What's so different about paddling around Britain? Well, an island in itself, the way water moves around an island is incredible. And we've got, you know, our, I class it as the three sides. The way I'll be doing it is actually starting in Torbay uh, in a clockwise direction. And I'll actually be doing beach to beach 
So I won't be taking a boat with me. I think everybody who attempts this challenge has a different ethos behind what they're trying to do and how they go about it. And personally, to me, I just think it feels more complete if I'm going beach to beach. And that also then brings in the, the element of understanding that you have to launch on a beach and you have to come into a beach, regardless of what conditions it might be that day. And it could be beautiful and flat and calm, and it could be a 10 foot swell. So, you know, it's, it's, it adds a different dimension to how I'm doing it. It feels more complete to me and supports my kind of surfing background as well. But there are huge challenges, you know, the, the, the land's end to John or going around land's end. And it's that which I've done a few times, but that can be a challenge in itself. And the way the, the tides move around Land's End, going up the whole West Coast, obviously passing Wales and into Scotland, huge amount of uh, huge amount of currents and tides and winds to understand and use to your advantage to get up to the, the top of our country. And then it's just so diverse, so diverse. We've got areas which are like Torbay, hugely populated. And then there are areas in Scotland where you will go for your whole paddle and not see anybody or anything that comes from humans. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely exciting, hugely exciting. And we really put my, my experience, my paddling experience and my knowledge and water safety knowledge to a huge, huge test. Then of course, we've got the Bristol Channel, which has got the sort of second highest tidal range and, and also the prevailing wind. So I'm meant to ask you about the direction because most people go clockwise. There is a good reason for that. Can you just explain why you, you go that way rather than the other way around? Well, it's mainly to do with the way that our, our tides move around the country. So the predominant tide hits us at Land's End and splits. It goes north or south, either up towards Scotland or or towards the English Channel. So that tide goes all the way around back to the Thames. So you've got a huge tidal range pushing you around three quarters of the country. And, and as you know, you want to be going with the tide when we're paddling for ease and speed and all the rest of it, especially if you're trying to set a record. But also the prevailing winds go that way as well, generally. So that means you've got tide and wind with fantastic tide and wind against creates chop and that slows you down. So yeah, it's very obvious to go um, the clockwise direction for those for those mm-hmm. yeah and anyone who's doing the land base lands end to John O'Groats that's the reason why it's it's done that way because you've got the prevailing winds with you obviously the tides don't affect you and <laughs> this is a mistake I made because I did uh, John O'Groats to Land's End a few years ago and I had to pedal against the prevailing winds coming down towards land's end which isn't much fun when uh, you're sort of flogging up a hill and then having to pedal really hard to get down the other side as well it's probably worth just saying um, a word at at this point before we get into the sort of details and logistics and your your training about Jordan Wiley because obviously he's a man of tremendous grit and uh, through some unfortunate situations in terms of timing doing this during covid he he had to abandon his attempt around about um, christmas time have you followed his attempt and yeah, did absolutely. you learn anything from absolutely and um not only followed him but yeah have spoke to him since uh, massive respect for the man to be doing mm-hmm. to be doing the challenge when he was doing it, it takes takes uh, great spirit so, you know, I take my hat off to him, I admire what he was doing 
And it's a shame for so many reasons that he, he couldn't complete it. But I know he'll be bouncing back for, for more challenges. Whether he does a sub challenge again, I'm not too sure because he wasn't a paddler before he started the challenge. So I think he, he understood it. You know, it's a, it a steep learning curve, but that, that shows the character and grit of the man that he was willing to take that on. So, you know, I, I wish him well, but what a, what a challenge to try and do through the winter months. Mm. And, you know, and, and when he did stop, he's, you know, if he had to continue to January and February, in Scotland. Mm. Um, yeah, that's hardcore. So uh, big respect to him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, unbelievable amount of respect for his courage pushing through. So in terms of your plans, I think it's about 90 days, isn't it? Before you start rough, roughly yeah, that amount of time. 90 days, I think it is. So what's, what's your training schedule? How are you gearing up to the amount of mileage that you're going to have to put in? Well, I'm, I'm just getting back into it really in that I did a lot of training last year because I did a paddle. I went from Senan, Senan to Torquay and was trying to do it in under four days on a, um, on a rescue sub. So for those that don't know, a rescue sub is a big old barge of a board, 11 foot long, 34, 35 inches wide, and you can rescue people on it. So the idea was to go from Senan to Torquay. I raised about five grand doing that, gained lots of experience at the same time, but it was like paddling through treacle on such a big board, but uh, yeah, it was great fun. But I was, before I did that, I was used to paddling anything up to hundred K in a day. So I'm just getting back to that now, really. So I'm actually pushing two days, hard paddling day off to do other types of fizz, stretching, uh, strength work, swimming, and then back onto two days again. So I'm doing anything up to mm. about 30 K in a session at the minute, but I'll get that back mm. up to 80 to hundred K in a day, um, ready to, for the off, uh, sometime between mid April and May, I'm looking for a, a two week weather window and then I'll go for it. But obviously I won't start unless that two week weather window is there because the last thing you want to do is start a world record and after two or three days have to sit out for a couple of days because a storms comes in. So yeah, that's, that's the so, general. So, so that trip from Sen and you, you set out in September. How, how far was that? I think we did about uh, 260 kilometers in the end, obviously cutting off. Fair yeah, it's, it's a fair and different types of challenges in the summer in that because we had some lovely days, weather-wise, some warm days, and that's sort of, sort of set late September we did it. You can get some really warm days. But of course that presents its own challenges because you get local weather systems then building up and the onshore, offshore winds, local winds create big sideways chop. And as we know, as paddlers, one of the worst things, you know, I'd rather be, rather be at the back with a 10 foot swell paddling because swells are predictable. Whereas a side on two, three foot chop is just hard graft. <laughs> so every afternoon we'd have, have to endure sort of three or four hours of that sort of side on chop before it all died down again. You get a couple of hours in late, late evening before it got dark. And in terms of the logistics of your trip, so you said you're not taking a support boat with you. Are you unsupported? Yeah, I'll, ha I'll have a land crew. And that land crew literally will be in a vehicle to, with a bed in it just to kind of meet me at a beach, throw me some food, mm -hmm. get my head down for a couple of hours. And then because I'm trying to, uh, the model, which depends on weather and the situation and where we're at, but I'm trying to actually follow the same model that Ross Edgley, the swimmer that went round, 
our country as a swimmer, which again was an amazing feat mm-hmm. to do. But he did a six hours on, six hours off model. So you're always with the tides. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. the kind of model we're basing what we're doing on. So the uh, land support will just meet me in different places. And, you know, that's, and that's mm-hmm. something that just in the little bit of time that I've started to advertise that I'm doing this and this is all happening. I've had quite a few people sort of say, yeah, we, we, we could give up three or four days to meet you in somewhere and be your land crew, drive this vehicle mm-hmm. around, um, which should be a sponsored vehicle and, and be that land based person for you. So yeah, I'm really starting to understand the sub community in a way that I hadn't seen it before in the way that I've dealt with it before and, and been influenced by it. I'm seeing a very different side and that's a really heartwarming side to just supportive nature. Whether you live in Cornwall or Scotland, it's fantastic. Some of the contacts I've had already, which has been really inspiring and, and helpful to kind of push me on. That's fantastic. And, and no surprise at all. I think we were talking um, off air just before we started recording about, you know, our, our backgrounds in rugby and, and the sort of ethos, you know, apart from obviously the aggression in rugby, that there's a sort of background ethos of, of teamwork and fair play and support and so on. And, and I very rarely see it in a sporting environment, but it's something that absolutely shines out in stand up paddle and something that's kept me so engaged with the community because everyone's so supportive everyone wants to to help and you know that's great that you're you're getting that sort of response i i do have to ask you though because you mentioned uh, ross edgley there and i know that you've done a bit of a life-saving cover for him recently and i just wanted to ask you first first of all about uh, whether or not you'd got any uh, tips from him which clearly you have and the other is he seems like such an unbelievably positive guy all the way through is he really like that yeah he really is he really is he's he's got a great smile for starters so it puts anybody at ease when someone just gives you a great big smile when they greet you but yeah i mean there's another guy with a huge amount of tenacity i mean i, I know about swimming i know about the long distance swimming the feeling of going around massive headlands miles from the coast, you know, is an amazing, is an amazing feeling, but I could never do something like that because of the relentlessness of his swimming. And he actually gave me one bit of advice, which, you know, took me aback a little bit and I've been trying to digest it and work it out and see how I can work it into what I'm doing. But I said, come on then, how, tell me how you just got up because he did the six hours on six hours off. So, you know, get up, put that wet, wet suit on, get back in the water and carry on swimming. And he said, well, for the 150 days that he, he took to do it, which in itself is amazing. He said, I never, never got into a place which I was comfy. So whether he was in his mm. bag, whether he was eating, it was always uncomfortable, whether it was wet or damp. They never made it really super warm or nice or lovely. So actually he always got to a point where we just thought, well, it's, it's just as bad to get back in the sea as it is to sit in this wet, 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 wet uh, mm. sleeping bag. So he said, I never got into a comfort zone. I always stayed out of my comfort zone. So that motivated me just to, well, I may as well get and do the next six hours. And I just thought that's, that's an, one, it's incredible to do that for 150 mm. days, but two, just to, to do that and not implode. So yeah, I've been getting my head around that and seeing how we can mirror that a little bit in, in some way. And when asked about the motivation of, of doing these big challenges, he said he was he was uh, naive enough to start it and uh, stubborn enough to hang on to the finish, which I thought was a, 
a great summary. I think um, just just an incredible character. So one of the, the challenges that Jordan Wiley came up against is the weather. And uh, there's a fine line between choosing to go out and just take those miles when they're available and um, and staying on shore and waiting for things to to blow over. How do you think you're going to approach that sort of decision when it inevitably faces you when you're out on the water? Well, of course, the, 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 the most overriding understanding is obviously when I'm out there, unless, you know, some lovely person, local person comes out and greets me and paddles with me, I'll be paddling on my own. So it's always a case of keeping within the limits of my own ability so that at no point am I asking someone else to come and risk themselves to come and help me in any way. So it's understanding that. And, and and in doing so, understanding your own ability, and I think that's so important when you're on a SAP. I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. I also know what it is when it's just not worth it. And and wind is our big stopper on that, really. Headwind, you know, to, to grind, you know what it's like when you're grinding out into the wind. Well, if you're doing that for six hours straight, the impact on your body for the next few days has to be considered mm. because you're doing it for the amount of days that I'll be doing it. So yeah, there's a balance to be had, but there's also understanding that weather weather is fleeting in that it's very rare to have that bad weather from the same direction for, for days on end. Very rare. So it's understanding, well, you know, it might be six hours now, but it will change. It will move. And the moment it does, whether it's night or day, you get on that paddleboard and you crack on. Mm. Which answers what was going to be my next question, which is about paddling at night. I mean, you've got to take those miles when you can, don't you? Absolutely. And, you know, there are some golden hours um, before dawn and, and after dusk where predominantly there is calm times. So, you know, you, you, you pile in those, those miles when you can. You grab, you know, the, if you're grabbing those two hours consistently, that soon adds up. And if you're, if you're wanting to do a challenge, which you know, is, is trying to do what I'm trying to do, you need you need that every moment. You can't put those moments off. And this is a mm. certain amount of serenity, and especially the before mm. dawn paddling. Um, oh. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, but as long as you're taking the right precautions, have the right lights on your board and you know what you're doing and you've told everyone that you're doing it and you're not crossing shipping channels and, and causing mm. problems like that, then it can be incredibly safe. Mm. And just finally on the long paddle, what sort of kit are you taking? What board are you taking? Are you, have you fixed on your paddle yet? What's the situation with all of that stuff? No, at the minute I'm not fixed on any of that. So I'm still really investigating the boards. There are there are more and more boards out there that potentially fit the bill in different ways. It has to be one board that you do it on and it has to be a board that anybody can buy. They're the sort of regulations on the world record attempt. So yeah, it will be a 14-foot touring stroke race type board. My race boards, would I want to do such a distance on my sort of 24, 25-inch race boards? Probably not because the twitchiness of constantly paddling would be, I think, too much for the body to take. You have to have that little bit of uh, give. So I'm looking for the sort of 26 to 28-inch width, which is more touring-esque board. And it's got to be a fairly heavy. I mean, the race boards I've got now, I've got some incredibly light ones, but I've got uh, a fat stick 14 foot bamboo, which is a big old heavy board. But you know what? I love that board, for example, in big chop, big weather, because it bashes through it 
rather than bounces around on top of it. So yeah, it's getting that right board and, and, and equally as important. It really is. If not, it might perhaps a little bit more important. It's the paddle. So yeah, I'm, I'm really getting to the nitty gritty. I've probably tried 20 paddles in the last 10, 15 days to get that head shape right. I'm going for a, a slightly smaller, thinner head than I've paddled before. And the shaft, the size of the shaft, I, I like a, a thick shaft, thicker than normal shaft. And the, and the light, lightness of a paddle when you're doing tens of thousands of repetitions like that, again, is is hugely important. So that and, you know, the, the type of leash that you wear, the type of PDF that you, you would have on, um, the clothing, uh, the GPS, um, you know, all these factors, the fin, the type of fin, I'm practicing with different types of fins, um, play a huge part with it. And I think, I'm hoping I'll, I'll get some decisions on all of that in the next month or so, but I wouldn't surprise me if I'm still sort of changing it weeks before I actually leave. So we'll see on that. And, and then there's, I'm getting, starting to get lots of offers of, of sponsorship on different types of equipment. So I'm looking into that and that can change as we get closer, I suppose. Mm. And it is a trial and error um, process for any endurance event but you're right it's the ergonomics which makes such a a huge difference to the ease and you know something that's happened during the time that I've been involved in SUP there's been some real changes in terms of the views of of paddles you know to start off with it was all kind of like large heads and so on but now you know some of the the heads you know particularly for the the racing is tiny and, and having used both sorts it just makes such a massive difference to to your power and your endurance and the, the amount of time you can spend out there absolutely yeah so much though the ability to understand how that paddle head goes through the water without taking too much strength as well as endurance from your body is hugely important and that's where the refining of, of that comes into it. And, and indeed the length, um, my length is toying between about an inch and a half difference on my length of paddle. But of course that needs to vary as well, because you need to understand that, you know, you do go, when the winds are there, you're crouching down, it changes the dynamics. When you've got chop and surf, it changes the dynamics again of that paddle length, um, and the way you use it. So it's getting that one size fits all. Um, which is the hardest bit to kind of get to terms with. Mm. It's exciting to do and have the opportunity to, to do. So um, mm. yeah, I'm revel- relishing in every every aspect of it. I truly am. So the, the other thing I wanted to speak to you about, and something that I know very dear to both of our heart, is, uh, is water safety. And um, we've seen a phenomenal 2020. I mean, it's probably one of the few really great things to come out of it is the growth of stand-up paddle and the amount of new paddlers who are out there. But the the downside in that is that a lot of those people, it's been their first exposure to to water and um, there's a a lack of knowledge about safe ways to paddle and a lack of appreciation of conditions. And um, you you started a charity or you founded a, a charity uh, called Above Water, and I, I know that deals with water risks, not just for stand-up paddle, but right the way a- across the board. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, the charity and what made you start it? Yeah, well, um, uh, like I said earlier, I kind of I taught until a year or so ago, 
Um, the reason for stopping teaching was the overwhelming need personally for me to think, right, well, I need to actually put more time into water safety. As a, as a lifeguard, both on and off duty, I've had the misfortune of seeing people drown. And drowning is a, is a tragic, tragic, catastrophic incident in the way that obviously it takes a life, but the effect it has on family and friends and um, the local communities. Because often a drowning is something that happens where someone was do, being having the most fun. They're on holiday. They're enjoying themselves one minute and the next minute it's all gone. So it's catastrophic. And there was one incident um, uh, four or five years ago now where I had to try and rescue three people that sadly all uh, lost their lives. And, the, you know, having seen that before, that, that act in itself wasn't the tragic. The tragic element was the, the family and friends who were all there witnessing um, this unfold in front of them. And I made a, uh, a promise to myself that I would really, and I know this sounds rather dramatic, but for the rest of my life, do something about never having to see something like that again, because people wouldn't put themselves in that position. So I set up the charity Above Water, and that's kind of got national status now in that what we're doing with the charity all around the country. And actually, at the start of 2020, we started to see this rise in people buying stand-up paddleboards. And where I live in Torbay, there's a surprising amount of uh, manufacturers, importers that live very close to Torbay, some of the biggest in the world, in fact. Um, and they were giving me numbers off the scale, off the scale. Um, and, then, and of course, there were red, starboard, two bare feet, ocean monkeys, um, and then a few others. And, and even some bigger ones, you know, big ones uh, don't live that far away as well. So they were just giving me astronomical amounts, sort of 10, 15,000 boards being sold a week. So I actually went down to one of my local beaches and it took three days to interview just over 100 suppers. And I just asked them 21 questions, um, really simple questions. Please be as honest as you can. And they were, um, and unfortunately, brutally honest for some of the questions. And the results were just blew, blew me away in the how little people knew about water. And we live on this island and we've got this amazing maritime history. Um, and yet the, the common man or, or, or woman seem to know very little or understand the impact um, water and what the weather and the local conditions can have on your, on your paddling. So off the back of that, I actually, um, through the charity, we did a water safety uh, sorry, uh, uh, a sub safety week in June last year. And we had over a million interactions um, with that week, which kind of summed up to me that how much it was needed. Um, most of the big manufacturers and shops and importers kind of really helped with get loads of information out. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've been thinking of ways of getting into the people's homes for that, that, that person who has been given a, a, an inflatable sup for Christmas or their birthday, getting into their home to get to get to that person for them to understand those basics. Because even with the kind of national campaigns and whether it's the RLNI, Surf Lifesaving GB, the Royal Lifesaving Society, putting out information, the Coast Guard, this common person, this, this general person living wherever it might be in the country, isn't getting that information. Um, and thus they're going out to their waters 
whether it be inland waters or um, coastal waters, and really um, cutting it fine, should we say. And obviously, the moment I'm paddling and I see, well, I, I have to tow back so many people. Um, you have to just give advice to so many people because you can see it unfolding and going wrong in front of them. So, yeah, that's where we're at. That's one of the main reasons of promoting the long paddle is the fact that if I'm paddling around the whole country, surely at some stage, all those different parts of the country will get some form of media put from me uh, to, to help with water safety in that, that general area. Yeah. I th- what What is it, do you think, that makes it so difficult to pass those messages over? I, I mean, I often think that, you know, because, you know, obviously COVID apart, we tend to live fairly um, cosseted lives and, you know, we drive around in cars that have got airbags and all of this level of, of protection. And we think that in our everyday life, we've got a, a level of invulnerability. But anyone who's been on the water for any amount of time know that sometimes even if you do everything right things can sometimes go wrong so so you know I, I don't know whether people think it's a bit of a sort of health and safety culture or something like that but water is so much more dangerous than uh, walking down the road or well um you know it, 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 the opportunity of things to go wrong can happen very very quickly and particularly if you don't know what you're doing absolutely and i think you've you've probably hit a few points there that um, in their lives, they're not taken out of their comfort zone or aren't pushed to think ahead or understand or plan. And especially in the coastal environment, the way the winds change, the way the tide change and the combined aspects of that, mm. and put that against the ability level, um, you know, and the type of equipment they've got. Um, we all know that certain boards are better for beginners on mm. placid water and not so great in wind and, and on, a, on a coast. Um, and the type of paddle and just their skill level and not understanding that skill level. And they think they're in control until it's all out of control. And at that point, then there's nothing they can do about it. And, and there's countless times that myself or any of my paddling buddies have seen exactly that. And there's a family drifting to France. And, and you're, you know, you go and, and, and there's, they've got no way of stopping themselves because they haven't got the battle ability, they're on an inappropriate board, and there's an offshore wind. So, you know, it's it's understanding that really there aren't many people who, I mean, I did a, a talk. I do lots of uh, interaction with schools and teaching uh, children, and children are sponges. They want to know here. But I did a, a talk the other day to a group of uh, triathletes. So these are experienced swimmers, coastal waters and i was amazed at how many in that group um didn't actually understand the tides at all didn't really know why and how they changed and at what times they were and how they could predict that um for tide times and the importance of flow they didn't realize that actually how how you know fast that water can and, and you just think these are adults and they just don't understand that um but, you know, they were brilliant at, right, tell me as much as you can. So they were willing to learn. But the, the, the everyday man or woman don't, don't need to know these things in their lives. And now they've suddenly got this paddleboard and they're going out on it. And uh, they don't realize that they need to know these basics. And it is pretty, none of it's rocket science, but it, it is 
uh, fairly catastrophic. Yeah. You can get it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the the, the main danger areas, I, you know, I, I think that the people who are listening to this podcast want to know about stand up paddle. They want to get better. They want to to be inspired. So, probably this isn't the the audience uh, that we necessarily need to to sort of necessarily encourage to get more knowledge because I'd hope that uh, listeners w- want to get that anyway. But I'm sure um everyone listening and you know i know i i am a member of a facebook group or multiple facebook groups um talking about sap and and one of the things that sort of worried me particularly is you know first of all you know people asking for advice which is great by the way um but some of the people offering advice um are people who haven't spent too much time in the water and sometimes the advice that they give is is flat out wrong so I intercepted several conversations, um, one of which was a chap who was um, gathering recruits to paddle across from the Isle of Wight to the to the mainland, when clearly he'd had an absolutely appalling experience the first time. He'd been pushed seven miles off track. And um, those sorts of conversations just absolutely scare the bejesus out of me. So, uh, so I think, um, you know, that, that's a, a message to anyone using these Facebook groups. Just be really careful about, first of all, who you, um, who you give advice to. And second, make sure that if you are receiving advice, you make sure it's from someone who's experienced and has got a bit of experience in the sport and water safety. Yeah, absolutely. They're a great tool for, for lots of good goodness. So, you know, I, on one hand, think they're fantastic, but on the other hand, I do occasionally just turn them off on my social media threads because, yeah, as you say, the, the, it seems that occasionally the the people who are most willing to reply to some of these basic are the ones that have only just learnt it themselves. So don't understand the variations in what they're saying, and as you can, you know, have you quite rightly say can be can be quite wrong uh, in what the information they're trying to support and be helpful with. The, the, the intention is is all good, but um, yeah. Can, you know, let's face it, the, the tool for learning is a lesson, isn't a proper lesson uh, with an official instructor and you know, in a great location with the right equipment, and the right uh, clothing, in the right conditions. And that's that's where we learn. But that's difficult. It's not not everybody can afford that or, or live locally to be able to get one of those lessons. You know, we don't all where I live, there are loads of places you can go and get a lesson. But for different places up in the country, that's not the case. So it's trying to get the message um, in old school paper format, online, um, online learning facilities, to so everybody can get access to this information, which you know isn't a secret. It's just a, it's just hard to get it to to people. It really is. Yeah, um, and without giving too much of a plug, and and other courses are available. Myself and and Nick put together an online course to deal with exactly this problem. And um, so, so that's available any of our social media. But just to say, there are all sorts of organisations that offer these courses. Y- you do some education as well, both in person and on your site. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, uh, I'm in the process of doing online learning for a, about 50 schools I'm working closely with, and then about another hundred schools more loosely where I'm sending information for assemblies, on water safety lessons on how to understand the tides and not get cut off. But then in a normal world, when we're, we're out and about, I'd be doing about five, 6,000 children a year. 
and that would be in the water, teaching them all those same things, but also giving them water confidence, getting them on different types of boards, rescue boards, SERPs, um, to get them out on the water, have loads of fun, appreciate it. And that's that's a big thing of what I'm doing with the long paddle for as well is, is to encourage people that actually blue space is an amazing space to to for that mindfulness, for the fitness, for um, for so many beneficial points that we all know about. But it's just again um, helping as many people to realise that and, and use blue space, but safely. So yeah, that's that's a big part of why I'm doing the the long paddle as well is to encourage safe use of the sea as an environment for blue space and mindfulness and well-being. Amazing. And um, just to circle back to your training, what's the, the wildlife looking like off the coast of Devon at the moment? Awesome. Uh, and, you know, sadly, though, I came onto the beach after a couple of hours paddle and um, literally just saw a dolphin, a, a harbour porpoise, just washed up. So I've seen a few, sort of four or five of our five dead dolphins this last this last week, which is a real shame. But I'm seeing loads of dolphins. On Sunday, we went for a paddle around the headlands in Torbay. Saw a pod of about six or seven um, shooting past us, chasing fish. More seals than I've ever, ever experienced before are out there at the present. And we all know what seals are like. They, they love to come and investigate. They love to come and surprise, especially the big males when they suddenly stick their heads up right in front of you, make you jump. Um <laughs> You know, but I, one one experience I actually had paddling from Senan to Torquay this year or was it's sort of Falmouth way we were. And we had about 10, 15 kilometers of sprats, kind of uh, little tiny fish just bubbling, millions and billions of them bubbling under the surface, which was fantastic. But in amongst all that, flying through, which the first time it happened made us properly jump. Um, but we kind of got a bit more used to it, was the tuna. So we sort of seeing these tuna the size of minis um, flying out of the water or racing across the top of the surface of the water, chasing fish, was probably my best best wildlife encounter um, to date. So hopefully we'll see a few more tuna um, on the long paddle, but I'm sure I'll see thousands of seals and hopefully the dolphin or the porpoise and maybe a few other things as well. It's going to be the most incredible experience. And, and obviously, you, you, you'll have no idea of the duration, but what's in your mind in terms of, um, of the length of the paddle in order to get yourself all the way around there? Well, I'm targeting on the different legs between 70 to 90 kilometers a day, um, which, of course, is weather dependent, but you've got to give yourself a target. There is a kayaking record, as far as I can see. It's not an official record, but was completed in 72 days. So you're going to aim for the stars and uh, I'm planning to beat that. Well, it's an unbelievable project and best of luck with your training. It sounds like, you know, you're absolutely going into the detail on it and we really look forward to, to speaking to you again, maybe on the water or maybe just before you, you set out just to get the latest on, on your preparation if anyone wanted to find out about the long paddle or, or find out about your, your charity, where would they go? Well, um, the long paddle 2021 website will be going live in the next week or so. So that's www.thelongpaddle2021.com. Um, that will be going live and that will have associated uh, media with it. So 
you know, that, that will be the main hub to be able to contact. And then the charities is uh, www.abovewater.org. And again, that sort of highlights all the different things we're doing with that. So, uh, you know, don't be shy with um, trying to contact me because the more interaction I can have as we go around this island nation, as far as I'm concerned, the better. So I, it's one aspect of the paddle I'm really looking forward to. The different people who have said they'd like to paddle out with me at certain stages, would like to help, offer support. And of course, that's not necessarily sponsorship or all those aspects, but just a friendly face, a smiling face um, has great motivation for, for getting you to do these sort of things. So yeah, don't be shy and contact and, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to meet different people around this amazing, this amazing island. So super excited about that. Well, thanks ever so much, Brendan. All of the links will be uh, in the show notes and we will continue to support you as you get onto the water and, and head round on that amazing adventure. And congratulations on your charity Above Water. It sounds like it does a huge amount of, of good and very, very much needed. Thanks ever so much and um, look forward to seeing you on the water. Awesome. Well, likewise. And uh, just thank you for doing what you're doing because it's another medium for getting out information on water safety and, and the fabulous sport that is stand-up paddleboarding. So really appreciate your efforts too. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to, to have a chat with you all. Well, thanks for listening and a very big thank you to Brendan for being on the show. And we'll definitely be following him on the podcast throughout his journey. And we wish him lots of luck as he ramps his mileage up the start of the trip in April. If you like this episode, then please support the podcast by sharing it. And one of the best ways of getting the word out there is to share the episode on a paddleboarding or a Blue Mind Facebook group. It really makes a massive difference. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And see you next week. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.